0: In Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias or Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Amen. May the Lord bless to us. This reading from his word. So now, as I've suggested, begins a period in which the Lord Jesus Christ more openly declares himself and reveals himself and his mission of salvation and redemption to his disciples. In the verses that follow on here, we're going to discover that the Lord begins to speak about his death and his resurrection and also the transfiguration on the mountain and all of the glory that was part of that. So here, as it were, is the beginning of a new stage. And the Lord Lord punctuates this by taking his disciples away from the Lake of Galilee, which is where they've been spending quite a bit of time recently, and moving them north, uh, probably uh, um, uh, around 25 miles to the, uh, the area of Caesarea Philippi. And there they spend time in the, the, the towns and the villages uh, around that, that Roman city. And in recent weeks, we have seen how the Lord Jesus undertook the teaching and the training of these men in preparation for their apostolic ministry. He took them, we've we've said it many times before, I'm not going to to re-emphasize it too much, but he took them to give them these three years training in preparation of him leaving and returning to heaven after the crucifixion and them Carrying his commission to the ends of the earth. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And this three years of preparation the Lord took very seriously. Preparing these men especially in the things that he said to them and in the miracles that he performed uh, before them and the explanations that he, he gave. So whether it was um, the, the Lord's doctrine, which they were hearing as they walked and talked uh, uh, along the way, uh, whether it was the private explanations that he gave of his parables, whether it was the repeated wonderful miracles that he performed, all of which proved his power and authority and uh, showed him to be both the great healer of men's bodies, but also their soul and spirit. The Lord was showing the disciples what it was to be his apostles. And now the Lord was going to teach them Another important lesson. And I believe teach us also. Because now the Lord was calling for a clear expression of the disciples' faith in him. He was asking them for that personal testimony. From them as to his true identity. We have the privilege of watching the Lord's dealings with these people. And here we see that the Lord blessed these men with understanding about himself. And I want just to go immediately into a little word of application here. Because I don't think we should miss the principle that the Lord is establishing here about the value of making a personal confession of our faith. And this might be useful, especially to some of our younger listeners, Uh, but, but, but indeed all of us. When we have heard the gospel, perhaps over a long period of time, and when we've been taught what the Bible says of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work, when we have learned who he is, why he came, what he accomplished, there comes a time at which the Lord will have us declare and confess what we believe. He presents us with these statements. He shows us who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We, you and me, we should come to a conclusion and to a verdict about the Lord's person and his work and we should be able to speak our faith. We should be able to say what we know, what we believe about him and, as it were, give a reason for the hope That we have in Him. Now, we do not press or manipulate people to decide for Christ like some free will church that grinds out converts from a sausage machine. But when the Lord asks, Who do you say that I am? I believe that He deserves an honest answer. Peter knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was. The disciples knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was because they had heard him, they had seen him, they had watched as he performed these amazing miracles. The very testimony that we have before us today was the testimony that they had as well. They believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Messiah. Do you? Do you? Jesus had left Galilee with his disciples and as we've mentioned, he'd moved into this area around the city of Caesarea Philippi. It probably took several days for them to make that journey and as they travelled, they talked. And the Lord asked his disciples two questions. And let us remember that the Lord doesn't ask questions because he lacks knowledge or because he needs information. But he was asking questions like a good teacher asks questions. If the the teacher at school asks a question of a student, it's not because the teacher wants to learn the answer. It's because he wants to know whether the student knows the, the answer. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He wished to confirm the disciples' understanding. And he was allowing them the opportunity to state their conviction as to his identity. And that's what we see before us in this little passage. The Lord's first question set the scene for his second question. The first question he asked was, whom do men say that I am? Now the disciples had lots of answers to that question. And I can well imagine that each of them were, were looking at one another and thinking, well, okay, we've heard this being said and we've heard this being said, and, and, and some people say this and, and, and some people say that. And the point is that amongst the people of Jesus' day, there were few, if any, that could deny that Jesus was special. And everyone had an opinion as to who he really was. Some people thought that he was John the Baptist come to life. We read a few uh, weeks ago about how um, Herod believed that that might indeed be the case. Some people thought that it was Elijah who had returned. And, uh, or or another one of the, the prophets that was there to make way and prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And I imagine that uh, the people that had uh, these ideas all thought that they had pretty good reason for coming up with the identity or, or, or the, um, uh, the, the thoughts that they had about the identity of, of Christ. But actually, it really wasn't very important what all these other people said about the Lord. It is of little importance what the world in general thinks about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord doesn't give the answers that the disciples gave to him in response to his question another mention. It was just ignorant speculation Someone was coming up with a name, an idea, and they wanted to make that the the prevailing thought, and, and it was just their opinions. But the question had served its purpose. The very comparison and the offering of names by the disciples separated the Lord Jesus Christ From all of these others. Great as they might have been. Useful as their ministries may well have been. Important in their day as they doubtless were. The Lord Jesus Christ was different. He was unique. And as soon as you you brought these two thoughts together. Who do men say that I am? With the real identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference was obvious. So that... The Lord, uh, in, in asking this question, was highlighting His own excellence and His superiority, superiority far and beyond the best of men, distinguishing Himself from all others and opening the door to the real question of the moment, the question that mattered most. Whom say ye that I am. And the Lord Jesus was calling for a confession of faith from these disciples. Let me just make a a couple of general comments about that word that I've used there, um, confession. We sometimes talk about confession of sin. And that is something that, well, we should do if we have sinned against someone then we ask for their forgiveness. We confess our sin to them and ask for forgiveness. But primarily, forgiveness is something that is sought from God, and confession of sin is something that is made to God. We don't confess to another person, we confess to the Lord, we confess our sin uh, to to the Lord and we seek forgiveness from him. And that is confession of sin. That's not the kind of confession that we're talking about here. This is confession of faith. This is a statement about what we believe. Sometimes churches have confessions of faith and these are uh, um, documents or or maybe pages with a number of items or articles on it that that says this is what this church believes and if you want to join that church then you've got to say well I believe in the church's confession of faith and of course there's lots and lots of people can um, give a, a nod and give agreement to a church's confession of faith and sometimes they've never even read. That confession of faith far less be able to give a reason for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ but that apart again we're not talking about some mere formal document we're talking about what is in a man's heart what is in a woman's understanding what is in the, the, the thought and appreciation of a boy or a girl confronted with this question whom say ye That I am. Who do you say that the Lord Jesus Christ really is? The Lord will not have his people left in ignorance. Indeed, the purpose of preaching, what we're doing here today, the, 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 the purpose of preaching and the work of the gospel is to educate. And to enlighten and to inform and to illuminate the elect of God. Not the world in general, the elect of God. First in their conversion and then in their growth and development of spiritual understanding. By the gospel. By the gospel that we preach, the ignorant of heart and of mind and the darkened of soul learn what the triune God has done for his people. They learn what God has promised to do, what he has covenanted to do for them. And how the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world and on the cross accomplished everything that is necessary to secure every covenant blessing for them. That's what the gospel teaches. So when we say we're preaching the gospel, we are telling forth, we are declaring to men and women, boys and girls, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in fulfilment of the purpose of God. That's the gospel. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit quickens. The Spirit gives an ability to hear and to understand the gospel as it is preached. All men and women can't understand the gospel. All men and women can't Discern the person of Christ. See who Jesus really is. That is why when the Lord said, Whom do men say that I am? Everybody had an idea. But those to whom God sends the Spirit, God sends his Holy Spirit, those whom the Spirit makes alive, those to whom the gospel in the hand of the Holy Spirit brings life, and light, and wisdom, and knowledge, and faith. These are they who see Christ as he really is. Though they once were dead in sin, though they once were ignorant of heart, they are made wise unto salvation. And that's what John tells us, the Apostle John in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It is a knowledge of the true God and the way of salvation in Jesus Christ who was sent by God to accomplish all covenant requirements. That's eternal life. That is what it is. To have everlasting life, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. And it was important that the disciples knew who Jesus truly was. Who they believed him to be. They believed him to be the Messiah. They believed him to be the promised Christ. Because these were the men who were to preach him to others. And so they had to know the true identity of Jesus. And of course they did. But the Lord was also calling for confession. He was also calling for them to say it, to voice it, to personally attest it and declare where they stood. Why was that confession important? It's not as if the Lord needed that confession. He knew who he was, of course, and he knew that the disciples knew who he was. But he was eliciting that confession from the disciples for their own good. It was designed to strengthen their confidence and their comfort and enhance their witness To the gospel. It's not that their confession saves them, but it does confirm them in the faith. Nor was their confession by their mouth what brought them into new life, but it showed what was true in their hearts. Their confession was an expression of their faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't the other way around. Some people tell us that. If we confess Christ. Then he comes into our hearts. That's wrong. That's that's so wrong. It's the cart before the horse. It's completely wrong way around. Confession is an expression. Of faith in our heart. The Lord doesn't come into our heart. When we confess him. Let's get. These things biblically correct. When Peter, in answer to the Lord's question, and probably speaking for all the disciples, declared, thou art the Christ, he was expressing what was in his heart. The faith that he had already been given, what he knew to be true. He was speaking about the spiritual knowledge and wisdom that he possessed. That knowledge had come to him because Peter was one of God's chosen people. He was one of the Lord's sheep. And God the Father had chosen him to everlasting life. He had chosen him. What did we say John said in John 17 verse 3? That This is life eternal, to know God and Jesus whom he had sent. To know the one true God and Jesus whom he had sent. So this spoke about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God had chosen Peter to everlasting life. And the Holy Spirit had brought that life to Peter. Now we're talking about the disciples, let me just say, and I'm not going to dwell upon it, that Judas Iscariot, of course, is uh, distinct from this, and he proved that to be the case later. But Matthew also recounts this little narrative, this conversation between the Lord. And Matthew adds another sentence to this uh, 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 dialogue that exists between uh, Peter and the Lord. And uh, the Lord and His disciples, uh, but the Lord says in Matthew, "Blessed art thou, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but My Father which is in heaven." So, so this is the point that where Peter was able to see, "Thou art the Christ," it was because that had been revealed to him. Knowledge had been given to Peter as to the true identity of the Lord Jesus. So confession of faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ originates in a spiritual work of grace. God the Holy Spirit does a work of grace in the heart of a sinner, gives them life, gives them knowledge through hearing the gospel and confession of faith is made thereafter. Spiritual life is implanted in the heart and that brings wisdom and understanding and knowledge by which the believer knows and then that outflows in confessing the person and the success of Jesus Christ as Saviour. Later the Apostle Paul Writing to the Romans would say in Romans chapter uh, 10 and verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So true faith is a heart experience or what Paul calls believe in thine heart. Now I know that anyone can say I believe in Jesus or Jesus is the Christ in the same way as as Peter said that there. And perhaps as we've said Judas was present here. He likely was. And perhaps He did say this with the rest of the disciples. But let us not get precious about examining others. When the Lord's question is direct, intimate and personal, whom do you say that I am? God's grace first enters the heart. It is a heart work and we first believe with the heart not with the head this is more than just information this is more than just hearing with our intellect and assimilating the facts this is a heart knowledge it's a spiritual work there God's grace produces faith that did not exist before It's a new creation in the inner man. And that grace energises all our powers all the powers of the soul. It energises our understanding. It energises our will, our affections and our desires. These are altered and changed and that's what we call conversion. We see Christ differently. We we once knew, maybe we only knew Christ as a swear word. Maybe we knew him as, as someone that had been taught at, at school or, or in Sunday school or maybe we we... Learn something about Christ from somebody who, who witnessed or testified or we saw a film or read a book, but now it's different. Now we see Christ differently. Paul says we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now be leaving that in our heart is is including all that the Lord Jesus Christ did because if we believe that God raised him from the dead then we must believe that Christ died in order to be raised from the dead and for Christ to have died he must have lived and for him to have lived he must from he must have come as the son of God in the flesh and so believing by faith that God raised him from the dead is believing in The whole person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole work of salvation. We see in Christ the glory. We see, what's that word I've been using? The suitableness of Christ to deal with our needs. We see his ability as the Son of God. As the only one able to do that which is necessary. And we see his willingness... We see the willingness of Christ our Saviour to secure our deliverance from sin and our acceptance with God. And with the eye of our understanding, spiritually enlightened and with faith implanted, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Christ. Let me conclude our thoughts today by drawing your attention to the final verse of this little passage. Verse 30, it says there, And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. This little verse confirms that the drawing forth of the personal confession by the Lord from the disciples was principally for the good of the disciples themselves. They weren't to tell anybody else what they knew and understood. The time for the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world had not yet come. And there were several reasons for that, no doubt, The opposition of the religious Jews was one good reason. The Jews hated Christ anyway, and if the disciples started going around saying that this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, then their antagonism was going to be intensified. There was a risk of political uprising. Remember when Jesus had fed the 5,000? They wanted to make him king. There was the possibility that the common people could rise up against the Romans if the disciples started making prominent uh, uh, noises about the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, the Lord says, don't tell anybody about this yet. The Romans were nervous. And of course, the disciples yet had a lot to learn. So the Lord tells them, this has been committed to you, but don't tell anybody else about this at this time. And that teaches us something, I think. It teaches us that the timing of God's purpose as well as the outcomes of God's purpose are all in the Lord's hands so often in the lord's ministry we see him damping down enthusiasm because his time had not yet come the building of christ's church was to be effected upon the preaching of the whole gospel of christ that is christ come christ crucified Christ risen and Christ exalted. That's the message of the gospel. And it would have been premature for the disciples to go out preaching the Messiah was come when the fullness of the work was as yet incomplete. Now is there a lesson there for us? I think there is. It is a complete gospel that we have to preach it's the whole counsel of god that we have to declare it's not enough to teach that god is reaching out to the world in the incarnation and sending christ to men and women that's a, it's a lovely story and it's true but it's not enough in itself It's not enough to teach the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if that is an example for men to follow. It's true, but it's not enough. It's not even enough to preach the cross as the place of judgment and forgiveness. Because the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us about the success and the efficacy and the glory of our Saviour. That's the whole gospel. That's the whole gospel of God's covenant purpose amongst men. That speaks about eternal election. It speaks about effectual atonement. It speaks about irresistible grace and it speaks about once saved, always saved. And that is the whole gospel that must be declared to sinners. That is the whole gospel that must be believed upon and the gospel to be confessed. If you don't preach at all, you don't preach at all. May the Lord quicken our spirits. May he teach our hearts. May he make us wise to confess with our lips the Lord Jesus Christ to the salvation of our souls. Amen.